Being embarrassed by somebody's uh, bad behavior, antisocial behavior, is a, a, a very natural thing. It's very understandable if you're on the table with somebody and they start telling a, an unseemly joke, then that embarrasses those with, with certain social standards and moral standards. Or you are witness to somebody mocking somebody else and for the pleasure of a few, and then that person is, 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 is sidelined, is, is, is highlighted for, for that sort of embarrassing behavior. They're embarrassed, they're, they're humiliated. And that's what you can witness. You witness that, no doubt, quite regularly, that sort of poor behavior that is very embarrassing. Or you may even know of someone, and maybe for yourself, you've, you've done something which is not acceptable. Maybe you've lost your temper in public, or you, you've said some things that you shouldn't have done, and, and then you embarrass yourself. But you can also be embarrassed for other reasons. You could be embarrassed in, in a wrong way, although those, those embarrassments are not particularly good. But you could be embarrassed in, in, in the wrong way, in that you have, a say, a, a friend of the family or even a, a family member, and, and they're dressed shabbily. You go out to a restaurant or something, and they're dressed shabbily, and it, it might be that you're embarrassed about them, uh, the, the way they're dressed, and maybe they're just too poor. Um, whatever the circumstantial uh, reasons are, maybe they just don't care, just don't have the same standards. But whatever it is, you can be embarrassed about people in, in a way that's not good, is what I'm trying to say. Or what about an elderly relative, an elderly relative suffering dementia, and that brings with it, uh, with it certain difficulties, challenges. Maybe they're unable to control their emotions, they're repeating themselves in what they're saying all the time, or th those other aspects of, 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 of dementia that, that, that the people uh, notice. And you can be embarrassed, terribly embarrassed, but it's not something that they can do about it. It's a, a medical condition, and yet you can be so embarrassed, fearful of what other people think, fearful, but that, that's your auntie, that's your mother, that's your grandmother. And what I'm trying to say, you can be embarrassed for good reasons and for bad reasons. And in our text today, we, we come across a form of embarrassment or a form of shame that's, that's brought before us. Uh, there's actually quite different. The word embarrassed is used, the word shame is used. But the sort of shame that we see here is, is a very deeply sinful shame, and it has very serious consequences in our text this morning. It's a twofold uh, shame that is brought before us. Firstly, being ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, ashamed of the person, of the Redeemer, who is the Word of God personified. But then the second thing that the Lord Jesus Christ himself says is being ashamed of the Word of redemption. So the living Word, being ashamed of him, and the Word of redemption, that is the Word of God that is revealed and both, of course, Christ and his word are absolutely true and they are absolutely pure and absolutely holy. They're absolutely divine. And yet the Lord says there are those that are ashamed of him and of his words. And so the warning that we get, the immediate warning that we have, and which is both the message of the text and the title of the sermon, 
is don't be ashamed of Christ. Don't be ashamed of Christ. And we see three things then as we open up this, this verse 38. We see firstly the wicked forsaking of Christ. The wicked forsaking of Christ. We read, Whosoever there shall be ashamed shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. And so when we consider the wicked forsaking of Christ, let us see firstly, ashamed of Christ himself. Ashamed of Christ. And that word ashamed appears twice in our text. And it is fundamental to understanding the weight of what the Lord is saying to us. And that word means, as we would use it, to feel shame. To feel shame about something. Um, or to have some form of feeling of disgrace in oneself. So, as a, as a personal matter. Yeah? We, and therefore, we would use things, words like embarrassed or I'm so ashamed. And you're thinking about what your own behavior is or what you said out of turn or whatever it might be. But that word is also used to feel embarrassed about someone because you find them beneath you. Or their behavior is something you don't approve of. Or you question their character. Some of those you heard in the introduction, some examples. And you're embarrassed about Auntie Maud or something and her behavior and what she's unable to do and the difficulties she has. But both of which, those two, the, the, the personal shame or the shame towards someone else, saved or otherwise, is something that the sinner should have towards themselves. They should have that. They shouldn't have a high opinion of themselves, but they should find much that is within them disgraceful because it's in the flesh and the flesh is still alive. And therefore you feel shame or disgrace in oneself. But it is in the context of the verse that we have before us, verse 38 of chapter 8, that the second meaning is extending towards the Lord Jesus Christ. That second meaning of to, to feel ashamed is to feel embarrassed about someone, to feel ashamed, to feel some form of, of disgrace or some form of finding them beneath you or you question their character. And that's what... That sort of embarrassment causes people to deny Christ. This is where the Lord is, 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 is focusing, focusing upon. In Matthew 10 and verse 33 says almost the same thing, using a different word. It says, But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Now that sharpens our understanding that, that this embarrassment that the Lord is, is speaking of here, and they are parallel verses in the sense of what they teach, is that this embarrassment about Christ is, is really a denial of Christ. Now when we think of those who are embarrassed about being seen in a church or being seen under the preaching or hanging around with other Christians, there are plenty in the world who are like that. They are ashamed to come and hear anything about Christ. And there are those who would privately, maybe just to friends or something, would, would admit that they are believers. But as, as soon as it got public, as soon as people asked them in, 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 in the canteen at work or wherever it was, suddenly they, they, would, they would shut up and be very, very quiet and actually publicly deny him. 
And with that unholy shame, it goes much further than, than the Lord says that, because the Lord says, I should say, that they're not only ashamed of him, they not only deny him, uh, but also his teachings. Everything that the Lord Jesus Christ stands for, everything that his word is filled with, the, the doctrines of Christ, the words of Christ. So not just, just him, as a, him as a person, but him and his word. So ashamed of Christ, but also ashamed of Christ's doctrine. And that's what he says there. He couples the two together. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words. Now when the Lord says Christ's words, he's not just speaking of those words that he spoke in his earthly ministry. Uh, so he's, he's not just talking about if you have a copy of a Bible that has red letters. He's not just talking about those words, but rather the whole word of God. In other words, the truth of all the scriptures, historically and scientifically and theologically true and accurate, everything that's within them, all that they report as being true and therefore believable and therefore not to be denied, not to be forsaken. Everything. Let me understand when it comes to opening the, the Scriptures that people are very happy in, in various times of history, even today, especially today in, in some ways, and, and in various parts of the, the visible church, there have been many who have had a Bible-less existence. You know, they're happy for, in the Roman Catholic Church or the Greek Orthodox, for the, for the priest to tell them what to believe, or in the Anglican Church... Or in the charismatic church, so they're just taking words out of context and, and, and giving them a whole, and a whole uh, new slant that's not biblical in the slightest. And again, they would not be students of the Word. And that's because Christ's doctrines, Christ's Word has never been popular. Never been popular. Even today, it's not popular. Even in previous church-going years and ages, if we look back, we might look back 50 years and say, well, there was so much more um, professing Christians on earth. There was so much more people going to church. And maybe go 100 years ago, 150 years ago, even into the Victorian times, and say, I'm surely there, were, there was a lot more respect and love uh, for the Scriptures. Well, there was a, an outward respect. There was an elevation of, 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 in some way, but not the true way. That is in reading it and, and obeying it. Reading it, believing it, and obeying it. That's the word. That's how we are to approach the word. Uh, to, to, to know it and to do it. Be not hearers only, but doers also. And that's, but that has always been lacking. That has always been lacking. Even Bishop Ryle, when he speaks on this text, says that point. And, and there he was writing that in the 1860s or so. Or 1870s. Speaking very much that even people in his day despised the, the, the words of Christ, despised the doctrines of Christ. You know, when we consider the wholesale rejection of all of Christ's doctrines... We can see that today, Shar sharply um, demarcated, for example, the, uh, what the Bible says about the beginnings and what evolution says. So creation versus evolution. Biblical morality versus immorality and perversions of today. The true gospel versus the health and wealth gospel uh, of today or, or even going back a little bit um, of a... Of a 
ritual gospel uh, in, in, in the high church of the Anglicans or, or going before that, all, all rituals, or a rationalism, uh, which again um, contradicts the Word of God, whatever it might be throughout the ages. And if, if you look throughout the ages, it is not the case that at the beginning of 1970 or something that it all went downhill from there. It's been going downhill a long time. Even in the times of the Puritans, before the times of the Puritans, there was, there was empty and ritualistic religion. And after the time of the Puritans, there was empty and ritualistic religion. Man will have it that way unless the Spirit of God moves. And the Spirit of God moves through the Word of God. And so a denial of Christ and a denial of Christ's Word is a fighting a striving against the Spirit of God. Those three things I just mentioned. Um, creation, evolution, biblical morality, the worldly immorality, a true gospel or false gospel, whatever that, modern, that variation might be, has caused so much uh, confusion in the churches. There are people who go to a church and they're semi-liberal or completely liberal and and so they they will accept evolution as the truth and therefore what will they do with the first 11 uh, chapters of Genesis? Well, they will reject them. They'll reject the word of Christ or the morality. They will will not accept the the clear reading of Romans chapter 1, for example. That they will twist the words that are in there to make it say something that it doesn't say. And then we have the true and the false gospels again. People uh, believe a gospel. And if you're in such a liberal church, what is that gospel? Well, it becomes a social gospel. It becomes a self-help gospel in some other places. And they declare to have a love of Jesus, but they are ashamed of his word. And that's one of the reasons why the Lord brings the two together. Okay, you say you don't deny me, you're not embarrassed about me, but you're certainly embarrassed about my word. My word says nothing about a big bang or billions of years of chaos becoming order. My word says nothing about that you could, that, 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 that you could live sexually immoral and still be a Christian. My word says nothing about that. In fact, my word calls you out of immorality, calls you out of sin. 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you considering all sorts of immoralities, social, fiscal, sexual. But you cannot have Christ if you do not have his word. You can't believe on Christ if you do not believe on his word. Why is that? Well, because Christ is revealed in his word. It's the Christ that we believe on is the Christ that's revealed. He's promised, he's revealed, and he's, again, his future return is promised in the 66 books of Scripture without taking anything away, without adding anything to it. So those that declare to have a love of Christ but are ashamed of his word do not actually have Christ. Or they can't have Christ. Notice the use of the word uh, that's used here. Instead of just the word of Christ, he says words. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words. And that plural is to indicate all of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, all of the word of Christ. But why are so many ashamed of Christ? Why are they ashamed of his word? Well, that thirdly brings us to the truth, the shameful fear of man. 
the shameful fear of man. And besides that spiritual truth that all are dead in trespasses and sins, that everyone is against God by nature, they are God's enemies and they are spiritually dead. Besides that truth, there is the abiding truth, so that's individually, but there is the abiding truth that the whole world together of all these that are against Christ and against the truth, uh, that the whole world itself is anti-Christian. So if the whole world is anti-Christian, and even if you're in a church and you are a Bible believer, but they are not, you're still in the context of you believe the Scriptures, but they don't believe the Scriptures. And in any, in any case, it is that context of being a believer or not a believer, in a world of anti-Christians, of unbelievers, and they're not just uh, neutral about it, they're not just um, indifferent about it, but they have a hatred towards it. The hatred towards Christ, because Christ says, you are not righteous, you cannot save yourself. And His Word reveals all that again and again. And the world does not like to hear that. The world and all its made-up religions are all about if I do this and I do this and I determine to do this that I will f somehow find acceptance with a deity. So the world doesn't like that. The world is so self-righteous, it hates the righteousness of Christ. And it's so full of its own wisdom, which is no wisdom, that it refutes and hates the Word of God. They'll happily take words out of context and make, make of the Bible a book of Jewish mythology and, and the New Testament, they'll make it into some sort of uh, morality uh, tale, but it isn't at all. And so we see a point or two in, in our text that, the, that there is that in the fear of man and then the, the pressure of the anti-Christian world upon everyone, including the believer. He uses this phrase to help us. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. So he's not just talking about the context in which he was preaching. He's, pre he's speaking of the context that we're all in. An adulterous and sinful uh, generation. Adulterous here has its more broad meaning of spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. A yearning after false gods, a yearning after false Christs, a yearning after false uh, gospels, which makes them then ashamed of the true gospel and the true Christ. And so in that context then, where the whole, whole world has, has gone away from God, and does not want the righteousness to be found in Christ, and does not want uh, Christ. Therefore, there is great pressure on everyone not to conform to the Scriptures and not to conform to the Gospel, and, and, and not to follow the true Christ, who says that we are to uh, give, our, give our bodies as a living sacrifice, that we are to, to crucify ourselves, that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross. So the Lord says... But the flesh doesn't want to do it, and the flesh of everybody in the world does not want to do it. So the world, the, the collection of the flesh, does not want to follow Christ. It is a swimming against the flow of the world for the believer. For those who by God's grace have had a glimpse of Christ and see Christ in the Scriptures and, and desire that gospel, who desire Him and, and look to follow Him, you're swimming against the flow of the world which is anti-Christian. 
and even going against the flow of the religious world. And that's a difficult thing. Why is it difficult? Because of the power of the fear of man. Is that people will despise you. The people will be embarrassed about you. No doubt you have family members. You're embarrassed about the fact that you're a Christian. Embarrassed about the fact that you base your life upon the Scriptures. Who are surprised that you would base your hope and your faith and your morality and your way of doing things entirely upon this book. And people will despise you for it. And that is a difficult thing. Nobody likes rejection. Nobody likes being hated or despised. But that is the power that the world has to, I would say it's a manipulating power to make you conform to what they want. And there are indeed times in life when it is very difficult to stand up for Christ. Because of this fear of man, because of the power of that world, it's very easy to give up and give in to the pressure of the world around and to say nothing. That's not to say that it's not sometimes wise to just pass, to pass by on giving a comment. It's not the right situation, they're not open, it's just going to cause an argument. But other times, though, it could be exactly what the Lord puts his finger upon and says, no, you're actually ashamed of me and you're ashamed of my word. So ashamed of Christ, ashamed of Christ's doctrine, the shameful fear of man, and, f- and fourthly, uh, the unbelief in the Son of Man. Unbelief in the Son of Man. As we consider the wicked forsaking of Christ, the unbelief in the Son of Man. So ultimately then, embarrassment that is toward Christ and towards His Word is a denial of Christ, it is a rejection of Christ because of unbelief. It's a not believing his word in spite of everyone else. It's not a laying hold upon him, even though you're the only one, it seems, who lays hold upon him. And unbelief is simply just not trusting him. So having embarrassment towards Christ and towards his word is is just not trusting him. And the horrific truth about the world, which is full of unbelievers, is that unbelief is based upon ignorance. They don't know what they will not believe. They don't know him whom to know is life eternal. And they don't want to know. They're not interested in knowing who this Christ is or what that gospel is. It's amazing. It goes to prove what Ephesians 2 says. Dead in trespasses and sins. Walking, living, according to the course of this world. They're alive. They're physically alive. They have desires. They have lives. They have feelings. They have disappointments. And yet you come and say something of the Savior, something of the gospel, and they don't know it, but they don't want to know it. Many don't know the Scriptures, and they do not want to read them. They do not want to study them. And as we've mentioned already, a rejection of the Scriptures is a rejection of Christ. One of the most clever of tactics that the devil has ever given. Yea, hath God said. That's what brought down the fall of mankind in totality. Putting a question mark to the veracity, the truth, uh, the goodness, the reality of God's Word, and and, and the devil is still doing it today. 
and considering in this Christian that the next time that you pass over a, a, a section of the Bible, uh, be it a verse uh, or whatever it might be, and there's, there's a teaching in there that you don't agree with, there's a rebuke in there you do not want to take. You do realize there's something there of a rejection of Christ and a rejection of His Word. And that is not pleasing to the Lord. But on the whole scale uh, matter where we're considering today also of how the whole world is, is steeped in unbelief and it is a wicked forsaking of Christ. Secondly, the whole future belongs to Christ. That's what the Lord reveals here. Uh, partially in verse 38 then whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the son of man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his father with the holy angels so the Lord Jesus Christ he will return and he will return in glory he will return in power he will be revealed as the as as the lord subaoth the the lord of hosts there is that day coming when the lord jesus christ will return in similar fashion to how he ascended from earth to heaven acts 1 verses 10 and 11 speak of this and while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So the promise is there, the, 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 the truth is there that this Lord Jesus Christ is coming, uh, is coming back. He is to return. And what will he do when he returns? 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So he is coming back, he says so here, when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels, and now we understand very clearly he's coming back to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. And that is what he will do. As Paul then writes in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So we see that all peoples will be judged. And part of that judgment that we see here, or the aspect of the judgment that's mentioned here, is those that have rejected Christ and rejected his word. It's actually very very sober, very somber, very profound threat that the Lord makes. Are you ashamed of me now? Are you ashamed of my word now? Do you not believe every, every God-breathed word? Do you not believe it all? Do you not practice it all? Do you not do it all? Are you ashamed of me? Are you ashamed of my words because I'm coming back? I am returning. And you were ashamed of me and you were ashamed of my word. Even though you've had the privilege of, of gospel knowledge. Because he's not speaking of those, those pagans who have had uh, no contact and no knowledge of the scriptures. He's clearly speaking of those who have had the, 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 the ability to, to hear something and reject it. To know something, but reject it. Reject him, reject his word. 
And so they've ended up despising Christ and despising the Scriptures, despising, deny, well, not just despising, but denying, forsaking, rejecting. And what we see here is a simple act of scriptural justice. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, and a life for a life. Now that is never in the context of someone hits you, you hit them back. Now this is justice, this is judicial. This is you would go to the courts, you would go to the, to the elders of, of, of the city and, and you would put your case before them and they could see the damage, they could hear the story and then their sentence would be that, that, that you know, Jacob, you've lost your eye, that therefore Ezekiel, you, you will lose yours. And this is what we see here. That Christ declares that he will publicly be ashamed of them Rejection for rejection, denial for denial. They have despised the means of grace. They have despised Christ as the means of grace, and therefore there is no grace left. And so we see the full harshness and the full clarity of the law against them. How else would they receive mercy of God? How else would they receive the grace of God? Only through Christ, and Christ as He re revealed unto us in the gospel. But they've said no, and now Christ says no. And Christ must reject and deny such sinners in and of themselves, and He, and he will be ashamed of them because they are filthy sinners. The words that he used, an adulterous and sinful generation. They are without God in the world. They are stained in their sin. They are still under the wrath of God. Moreover, they belong to a different kingdom, to the kingdom of Satan and not to Christ's kingdom. So the wicked forsaking of Christ, the whole future that belongs to Christ, but thirdly, the wonderful faith in Christ. The wonderful faith in Christ. Notice me, there is no mention here of a rebuke towards those who are not ashamed of Christ or of his words. Those who not, that do not deny or despise Christ or his word. There's no rebuke. On the contrary, Christ will not be ashamed of them. Christ will not be ashamed of them for they are fully accepted by him fully and freely accepted by him. By him, they are fully redeemed by him, and they are fully loved by him. Uh, beginning of Psalm 25 speaks of these both matters, of the shame of the wicked and the unbeliever, but the, the hope of the believer that they would have no shame. Verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 25, O my God, I trust in thee, let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let not that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. The people of Christ will not be ashamed. And he will not be ashamed of them because they are just two things. They are his delight. They are his delight. He has settled his love upon them from all eternity. He has looked with longing eyes and with a throbbing heart to them, and only them. 
and he knows their failings and he knows uh, their wickedness they know that by nature they would be embarrassed about him they would be embarrassed about the truth of the word they would do all these things but he makes the difference he has died for them he has bled for them he has saved them and so the exact opposite of what we've just considered now for the adulterous and sinful generation. Uh, what about, by God's, God's grace, the faithful and repentant generation? The believer in Christ. So instead of shame and rejection, what will there be? There will be delight and acceptance. Delight and acceptance. All that truly believe on Christ are the delight of his heart. The, the Psalm 17 speaks of us being the apple of his eye. That which, is, that which is delicate, that which is fragile, but that which is so special, so guarded. And there's a lot more we could say about that when we consider the apple, we being the apple of his eye. But not only that, we are the bride together. We've considered the collection of, of the godless world uh, being this great mass of those who are embarrassed about Christ, uh, who are in the kingdom of Satan, who are under the, 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 the curse of God, but in the gospel. That is completely reversed. Completely reversed because we have not only come into the kingdom of Christ, but we have become the bride of Christ. And surely Christ the bridegroom delights in his bride loves his bride desires to be forever with his bride faithfully loving her being tender towards her and although the part of his bridegroom that's still on earth is still filled with faults and, and filled with divisions and, and, and filled with sin and yet this bridegroom he covers her he covers her nakedness with his righteousness. He covers her sinfulness and her blemishes with his blood. And therefore he is able fully to delight in her. Able to delight in her. And he is not ashamed of her. Of course, without that covering of righteousness, without that sprinkling of blood, there would be much to be ashamed of. But the bridegroom has taken care of his bride as he has collected her. Out of that mass of adulterous and sinful people. And he has made her his delight and also his glory as he mentions here. It says that Christ will come again in glory. And what will he do when he comes within that glory, the glory of his Father? Well, he comes to share that glory. He comes to give that glory so that his people will be fully glorified. The glorification of the, of the sinner, of the saint, the sinner that becomes a saint, is at conversion, at conversion that there is a glorification of the soul in part. That's conversion, and that glorification, we can give it that name as it increases in sanctification. From glory to glory, from grace to grace, growing. As, 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 as still the, the, the beginnings of that glory. 
But it's when Christ comes to finish that work in his people on that last day, when he brings body and soul together, when, when there is a resurrection or a change of that body, and then the glorification is complete, and then the full glory, the transfigurating, the transfiguring glory of Jesus Christ becomes the bride. It's no longer just the bridegroom, but it is the bride's. And he will do it. We have that progression in Romans 8 and verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. See the past tense, he glorified. And yet he will yet complete that work of glorification. So he has started it. And he will continue it. And so in closing then, Believer, although there is still very much in you, around you, because of you, that is abhorrent in me, abhorrent to Christ, and it is true that Christ knows you better than you know you, knows the wickedness, knows the duplicity, he knows where you lie to you, and he knows it all, and he knows the truth, and he knows the core. And there is much to be ashamed of before the Lord, and yet... Ephesians 1 and verse 6 says this, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Accepted in the beloved. By God's grace. Fully, freely, eternally accepted with God. Accepted with God in Christ, through Christ. And that's the wonderful, wonderful truth is that God is no longer ashamed of you, Christian. Although you know there is much to be ashamed of still, he is no longer ashamed. He looks at you in Christ. He sees the perfections. He sees the holiness. He sees the patience. He sees the goodness of Jesus Christ when he looks at you and me. And thank God that is the truth. Thank God that is the truth. And therefore, the wrath of God is removed and, and remains removed removed because of the blood of Christ, the atoning blood that has extinguished every drop. But the Lord, the Lord having then brought us into this state of, 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 of salvation, he then covers us and protects us, as I've mentioned already. Covered in the blood and with the righteousness of Christ, full and continued acceptance, there is no convert, true convert to Christ that becomes a, 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 a sinless individual. And yet the acceptance is an eternal one. And therefore, having heard the Lord's rebuke and what we've, said, what we've read today, those that will be ashamed of me and of my words in this uh, sinful and uh, adulterous and sinful generation, may it please the Lord to grant us grace. Grant us precious grace always to be able to own Him. Give us that boldness to speak of Him. Be not trapped by the fear of man, which is a snare, but to be found unashamed of Christ and the gospel. That we might be the faithful witnesses of Christ whilst we live amongst an adulterous and sinful generation still. Where do you stand today, may I ask? Are you one of these that have said that, 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 that this Christ is my Christ, but his word? Well... As I mentioned, you can't have Christ if you don't have his word. 
because his word reveals the true Christ, not the false Christ of the Muslims or the false Christ of the Hindus or any other religion that has stolen the name of Jesus Christ and, and made something else out of him, but the true Christ. Now, I can say to you, are you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? And your answer might be no. Well, in that case, have you obeyed his call to repent and believe? And you might say, no, I haven't. I haven't obeyed it. Well, there's an ash you're ashamed of him as Savior? You're ashamed of his word and the truth of it? Because if your answer is still no to those two points, then it means that Christ, according to his promise, his warning and his word, that he will be ashamed of you at his return. He will deny you, he will forsake you. Which means even now you are still in your sin and under God's wrath. And your unbelief will witness against you. It witnesses against you now and it will witness against you then. If you reject, if you deny the gift of Christ, if you reject the gospel, you reject and deny the authority of the scriptures. Now you might be offended that I would link the two, but it's Christ that's joined them this morning. Ashamed of me and of my words. And as we mentioned in that second point, the whole future belongs to Christ. You cannot avoid Christ. You cannot avoid him. You cannot get away from him. As we've understood, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And either you're saved by him now and, and you're accepted by him forever and you will be received by him into glory when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels or you are ashamed of him now and you will be judged and condemned by him and cast into outer darkness. No, you must... You must repent of being ashamed of Christ and of the gospel because he is the greatest and most faithful of friends. It says in Proverbs 18 and verse 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And may God grant you grace to lay hold on this Christ, to believe on him, to know him and to know his word and to be saved by him. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank thee for thy word and we pray. Have mercy. Thou knowest that all thy people have an embarrassment at times. That they are ashamed. And yet, Lord, by thy grace, thou art not ashamed of them. And those, Lord, that are ashamed for whatever reason, of coming to Christ and calling upon him and believing on him. Oh, what a woeful truth there will be in the last day. And so, Lord, we do pray that thou will come and by thy spirit and cause those that are ashamed of thee in thy word to obey thy word, to believe thy word and have salvation. Hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. So our closing song is uh, hymn 349. Hymn 349. And we'll sing verses 1 and 2 uh, to close. Standing to sing verses 1 and 2 of hymn 349, please.
Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. <laughs>